0: We're all here, and we're all ready to talk about how much we like, how much we love Gnome.
1: I don't even like garden gnomes. What are you talking about? (laughs) Welcome to Mintcast, the podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. This is episode 395. Recorded on Sunday, the 4th of September, 2022. I'm Moss.
0: And I'm Norbert. And that's it for today.
1: First up in the news AWK gets Unicode, GIMP out, Firefox improves its memory, Nitrux released, Unity is a flavor, Microsoft drops Linux, Makulu adds to the confusion, and Debian wrestles with firmware. In security and privacy, eight year old Linux kernel vulnerability uncovered, and Plex gets exposed. Then in our wanderings, Moss reconfigures again and Norbert contradicts himself. In our inner section, Mint and Gnome have lots to show us. And finally, the feedback and a suggestion or two. In the news, Universal Unix Tool AWK gets Unicode support from the Register and Ars Technica through Londoner. In Unix terms, this news is akin to Moses appearing and announcing an amendment to the Ten Commandments. AWK, a programming language for analyzing text files, is a core part of the Unix operating system, including Linux, all the BSDs, and others. For an OS to be considered POSIX-compliant, it must include AWK. AWK first appeared in 1977 and was included in version 7 Unix in 1979, the last version of Unix from Bell Labs before AT&T turned it into a commercial product. What is notable about the tool gaining Unicode support is not so much the feature itself, but who wrote it. Canadian computer scientist Brian Kernighan, now 80 years old. AWK's name is an acronym for its, three ori- for its three original developers, Turing Award winner Alfred Aho, Peter Weinberger, and Brian Kernighan. Professor Kernighan is also the K in K&RC, as in the original classic 1978 book The C Programming Language, written by Professor Kernighan and the late, great Dennis Ritchie. A Unix legend who owes us nothing, keeps fixing foundational AWK code. Kernigan also named Unix and first demonstrated the Hello World code example.
0: That is very impressive. Is it the AWK, one of those code bases that nowadays uh, less and less people understand? and uh, Or is it just the fact that it's tried and true and doesn't get that many new uh, commits and features.
1: Very definitely under the if it ain't broke don't fix it strain of code.
0: GIMP 2.99.12 was released and is self-described as a huge milestone toward GIMP 3.0. Many of the missing pieces are getting together even though it is still a work in progress. GIMP 2.99.12 brings on-canvas brush sizing, customizable on-canvas modifiers, improved tool pointers, initial CMYK support and a ton of work landing there. Improved team support, a number of improvements to the Adobe Photoshop PSD file format handling, handling improvements for raw data, support for loading WBMB image files and enhancements in working and enhancements in working towards Wayland support. I am really excited for Green 3.0 and I quickly want to uh, recite some of the uh, some of the more intru- some of the more important new features that we- I think we covered last year in a different uh, Episode one of them is uh, GIMP being ported from GTK 2 to GTK 3, which has been a bit overdue. It just comes with GIMP being a slowly move, slow moving project, I guess. Another one that I would say is an even bigger new feature is the abilities to select multiple layers, which for some reason GIMP didn't have up until now, and it was one of the most uh, missed feature. Among the users, it will also have a new plugin it will also have a new plugin api pay, uh, new and better imp- improved gesture support, which I'm also Im- excited about improved file format support and windows ink support, which I assume is mostly relevant for people using GIMP on windows so it's all around shipping up to be a very solid release okay then.
1: Uh, Firefox 105 Beta brings memory fixes and the return of the two-finger swipe gesture on Linux. From 9 to 5, Linux is bringing back the long-anticipated two-finger swipe horizontal gesture on Linux for navigating back and forward on a website without having to hold down the Alt key. While this feature has been delayed over and over, and we really hope that it would land in Firefox 104, it does appear to finally be ready for the masses with the next Firefox release. It looks like the feature is working very well, and there are no blocker bugs this time, so fingers crossed. Also, for Linux users, Firefox 105 promises to to fix some memory issues that were apparently present in previous releases of the open-source web browser and most noticeable on low-memory systems. Firefox is less likely to run out of memory on Linux and also performs better towards the rest of the system when memory is running low, said Mozilla. Other than that, Firefox 105 will come with a new option in the print preview dialog to let you print only the current page. Web developers will get support for defining persistent scripts using scripting.
0: I have to be honest, I had no idea Firefox even had a horizontal swipe uh, feature for going back and forth. Well,
1: I didn't either, but then... I didn't know anything about the GIMP article either because I'm as an artist, I'm a great guitar player. What can I say?
0: I just tried this. <laughs> if I press Alt and uh, do swipes left and right, it just as if I was pressing the the back or or forward button. It just loads the next and previous page. But uh, one of my oh man! But uh, I hope it will be something like what uh, GNOME Web has Epiphany, which is which are one to one gestures. When you do horizontal swipes, the pages will literally move left and right, as if you were... Like, for example, how you can use one-to-one gestures uh, to switch on, workspaces on Gnome. So, it's, a, it's almost the same thing in, in Epiphany. And I really hope Firefox will have something like that. Wait, is it, wait, did it say that it's already releasing, or is it a beta? Okay, beta. <clears throat> Well,
1: that was fun. Yeah. My uh, my audacity is still recording so we're good. Okay. Um, Did you lose I, I, w- I I went to look up my version of Firefox and I'm pretty sure I'm on 104 and then said it closed Firefox. <laughs> so, okay. we're back. Yep. I let let I need to get my script open again.
0: Hmm. Nitrix 2.4 has been released with Linux kernel 5.19, KDE gear 22.08, and new Maui apps. This is from 925 Linux. And before I continue with the article, I, uh, in case someone doesn't know, Nitrix is a Debian testing-based distro that uses app images as its main format for applications. So, it being a Debian testing-based distro is mostly for the core system components to be up to date. And, uh, App images are self-contained uh, sort of portable applications, so it's it's a very interesting com- combination. And but the most interesting thing about NitroX, I think, is their distinct app ecosystem and app development framework called Maui. I describe it as the cute equivalent of the framework that Elementary OS has. I mean, it's as in as in it's similar to what Elementary OS has built around GTK. Nitrox has something Nitrix has a distinct framework built around Qt in the sort of the same manner. Nitrox 2.4 ships with the Zambo Linux 5.19 kernel and Zambo is a general purpose custom and Zenmod is a general purpose kernel with custom settings for stability and responsiveness. It also includes the latest version of KDE software, Plasma 5.25.4 and KDE Gear 20, 22.08. New Maui apps are shipped by default in this release, namely Agenda for managing, viewing and organizing your calendar events, and Strike, a tool designed for developers to build and run code. Also updated is the NX Software Center Package Manager, which now features a new store view with categories to the left, the ability to list other files uploaded by the same author, updated placeholder text to avoid confusions in the Apps and Tasks view, and improved search results related to the search key query. A minimal ISO image using JWM, Joe's window manager, is also available for download for the, from the official website for those who want to fully customize their Nitrox installation with, with another desktop environment than KDE Plasma.
1: Yeah, I've I've always been fascinated by Nitrox, but I can't wrap my mind around it. I just haven't been able to. JWM is cool, though. I uh, That was used in Puppy Linux, most versions of Puppy.
0: So the... I think my favorite implementation of Plasma might be Nitrox's with its, uh, it kind of, I think it's kind of has the same feature as as Unity, where you can, where you, if you maximize a window, it will blend its uh, title bar with the panel laptop, similar to Garuda, and it also has a dock, but they are also working on a completely revamped, but they're also working on a completely revamped uh, desktop experience called the Maui shell, which is which, while is built upon, uh, on top of Plasma, it's, uh, it's, it's a very, it's an intro, it's quite a unique, uh, desktop experience. It's, it uh, it will be a convergent shell that you can use on, on a phone, on a tablet and a desktop. And, uh, it would, uh, scale itself and dynamically to fit the screen sizes. And I, and it is also, and it's also, and it also supports Wayland. I tried it a couple of times. I think they said that the first alpha or beta was, is supposed to come out in September, right around, so about, so around now. And, uh, while I like their Plasma implementation, Maui Shell is, I think it's on a whole different level. It's basically, it's basically as distinct from GNOME. It's basically as distinct from Plasma as the current Cosmic Desktop is from Gnome. The, I'm talking about the Cosmic so that is built up on, on top of Gnome and not the rasterite of, of uh, Close Cosmic. So I for me, uh, Nitrox is one of the most interesting distributions around. So I do like to keep a, yeah. an eye out on for it.
1: I have found it very interesting, but I have not been able to install and run it. It's just there's too many things different for me to get my mind wrapped around. Anyhow. Um Talking about distros, Ubuntu Unity is to become an official Ubuntu flavor at 22.10. From Pharonix, with the advent of 22.10, Ubuntu Unity, developed by Wunderkind and Ubuntu mem- member Rudra Sarasvat, is being given official flavor status, just in time for Rudra's 13th birthday. Unity 7.6 was released recently after years of Unity 7.5 being unsupported, but not in time for 22.04. Unity is also being developed by Rudra after years of no development. While Unity 8, developed by the Ubuntu Touch phone community, has been renamed Lomiri, Rudra is moving the Unity project forward under the Unity X project. I tell you, I brag about this person like he was my own son. I, I... kind of came in early in the process and I, I've been really tapped into his successes and it's been very uh, encouraging that we've got so many young people coming up in the Linux community and so many great ones mm-hmm. I mean he, he's already an Ubuntu member and now he's got his own official flavor and you're going wow uh, the, his first distro was Linux from scratch I
0: think he was nine when he did that. (laughs) And now he's on a a good track to becoming one of the potentially one of the most well-known names in Riggs development in a couple of years.
1: Yeah. If he keeps going, you know Canonical has a paying job waiting for him when he finishes high school. (laughs) Okay, Norbert, let's go ahead. I also really do
0: like Unity. I, I was a uh, when I but when I learned that it doesn't run on Wayland, I was a bit disappointed. But it also makes sense because when Unity was started, Wayland was was Wayland was still in very early. But Wayland was uh, wasn't as stable as it is nowadays. And because Unity was dropped by Canonical, it didn't really have the chance to get Wayland support. But I hope that in the future it will be. Uh, if it will get uh, native Wayland support, I will definitely try it. I'm, I'm, oh,
1: that's what the Unity X project yeah, is about. I'm
0: I'm really excited about a bunch of new desktops uh, announcing that they will be Valand first. Uh, Popo's is cosmic. Will be I think it will be Valand first. Unity X will work on Valand, and uh, Budgie Eleven uh, is also has also been announced to uh, be a Valand first project. So I'm i I'm, I'm I'm just really happy for Valand to get adoption and more attention. Okay. <clears throat> Microsoft decides to drop the Linux app for Teams to replace it with a progressive web app instead. This is from its FOSS Microsoft introduced the Linux app for Teams back in 2019 as a public preview, and it still has a preview in its name currently. But now within three years of its existence, they decided to retire their Linux client in early December 2022.
1: Just like Microsoft, drop Linux, but, yeah. But
0: no, but you forget that. That you're forgetting Microsoft hearts Linux. At the time of publishing, at the, at the time of the publication of uh, this its Force article, there are no official announcements to address this. However, the news was potentially spotted by an administrator using Microsoft Teams, probably as one of the, in- the internal admin, probably as one of the internal admin notices via Hacker News. The notice mentions, quote, We will be retiring the Microsoft Teams desktop client on Linux in ninety days." in early December, which is currently available in public preview. All users on the Microsoft Teams and Linux desktop client will have to transition to the web or using the Progressive Web App version, which is where we will continue to invest our development resources. We are committed to helping all current customers on Linux, starting, on Linux start using the Progressive Web App. We will published guidance once we are close to releasing this feature. The progressive web app or PWA will support background blur, custom backgrounds, reactions and a couple other desktop app feature and a couple other desktop app like features. So for some users this is good news. It is so for some users it is good news. It is not clear when the PWA it is not clear when the PWA will be ma- will be made available as they only mentioned that you can expect it in the coming months. My first reaction to this was remembering that Firefox dropped the Their progressive web App feature a while back, so I assume this means in Firefox you will be only you you can just use the web version. I have been using the web version because I didn't uh, quite like their desktop app. If I use it in the browser, I can just run my browser as a as a Wayland as a Wayland app, and I the same thing is the same thing with Discord. Discord uses a specific version of Electron that has a bug that uh, doesn't let you run it as a uh, in Wayland mode. But if I use Discord and Teams, and even element in a browser, I can just use them natively on Wayland. Even the element uh, desktop client, which has a way, which is a way more recent version of Electron than Discord, uh, I I wasn't able to run that in Wayland mode either. I never really used the, the background blur feature in Teams, or I'm not even sh- I don't even know if it has a desktop, if it has a background replacement mode. So I not really. So for me personally. It, nothing will really change because I can just use it in the browser, but it's. But uh, well, I guess my main point is that I really would want Firefox to reimplement their progressive web app feature.
1: Okay, well, let's stop talking about Microsoft. Um, Maculu Linux, as to the confusion with Maculu Max. This is from the Maculu Linux blog. Unless you watch the video found at the link, you still won't know the difference. Makulu Max, Makulu Shift, Makulu Lindos, Makulu Game R, and based on comments on the blog, I'm not sure watching the video will help. Even so, this set of distros from developer Jacques Raymer has interesting tools and ways of doing things. You may want to check it out. I I just reviewed uh, Makulu Shift on the last episode of Distro Hopper's Digest. Um, He has interesting ideas about what security you don't need in Linux. And, um, well, when you go into Terminal and do your updates, it doesn't even prompt you for a password. Or if you do anything else in Terminal, it doesn't prompt you for a password. So, yeah. Anyhow, let's move on to a real operating system,
0: Norbert. But I wanted to say say that I... Uh, in the sudoers file, you can set it that users that can use sudo can use it without a passwords. But I'm not sure what, per, what privileges a user would have, would need to have uh, to be able to. Do you need sudo in Makulu to do stuff or do, can you just run uh, commands without that? Well, I
1: run sudo. Uh, I have tried running su minus and got uh, error code, so. You just run sudo but no password
0: I think you get a, you get an error with su if the root account doesn't have a password but if you type sudo su it will but if you type sudo su it will uh, you will be able to get to switch to a, the root account with your own password
1: that's my girlfriend sudo su.
0: <laughs> Debian moves to resolve the firmware question this is on Phronix uh and we previously uh and the previous and we mentioned uh, a while back how Debian, how there was an internal discussion in, uh, within, among the Debian developers, uh, about the, f- about the firm. About this firmware question, which is the fact, which is that the official Debian ISO doesn't include uh, proprietary firmware, and uh, the majority of uh, the most used distributions do. And it's been a little difficult to find the unofficial ISO on the website that includes this firmware. These firmware files. There and there and there were four options proposed, and now they had a vote on those and the vote on the potential moves was held over a period of time that ended uh, on the 2nd of september but no results but no results have been released at present and uh, so the options were option a include non free firmware packages on the official installation media option b include non free firmware onto the official media along similar lines Similarly to option A, but uh, the difference, in this opinion, would be not would be to not replace the current Debian media sets. The Debian images would be separate, complementary images on the current install media that does not include non-free firmware, or option C, make, making install media that contains packages from the non-free firmware section on the Debian archive and make it available for download alongside the free, purely free, software media in a way that the user is informed before downloading the media about the free. Option, and uh, based on what uh, the the based on what the based on the contents of the page on the Debian blog, the first option option A has received uh, the most options, which is basically to just make the non-free firmware ISO the official ISO and replace the current one, which would which would be what uh, which would in which case they would just uh, handle it. Like uh, most of the other distributions do, they just ship, they would just ship the the firmware files on the official image. So, this is the most likely outcome.
1: That's strange as I read that uh, over a thousand developers had the right to vote on this, and the leading option right now has 16 votes. I don't think they turned out the vote on this one. Hmm.
0: Okay, uh, maybe the results will. Okay, then maybe the page doesn't show the final results, but I'm really hopeful that the uh, option A will be implemented.
1: Okay, uh, we've got a new hex editor, Malcat hexadecimal editor and disassembler for malware analysis from Malcat.fr. Malcat is a feature-rich hexadecimal editor slash disassembler for Windows and Linux, targeted to IT security professionals. You can inspect dozens of binary file formats, disassemble and decompile different CPU architectures, extract embedded files, and scan for Yara signatures or anomalies in a fast and easy-to-use graphical interface. You don't like what you get? Malcat is also heavily customizable and scriptable using Python.
0: I I know nowhere near enough about uh, software development to make use of something like this.
1: But it's news, so let's move on to more news.
0: A few weeks ago, I was on FlatHub and I want, and I wanted to see what uh, software are there for running Windows programs on Linux. And Butlus is one of the most uh, talked about ones nowadays, which is only officially distributed to FlatHub. And I wanted to see whether Lotris was on FlatHub and I searched for it and I saw that it wasn't there. But a few days ago, when I was on FlatHub, I Spotted Lotris in the new apps section. So the news is that Lotris is now available. So the news is that Lotris is now available on FlatHub and uh, Lotris is uh, an application that uses Wine and it's uh, geared toward uh, using uh, and it's geared toward uh, playing Windows games. So if you want to play a game that is not on Steam, so and you, well, I, I think you can add non-steam games to your steam library to run via Proton, but Lutris is a another uh, some solution for it. It's essentially a game library that uses Wine and uh, as Moss And uh, Moss also added uh, that uh, the ungoogled Chromium browser is also now available on FlatHub. I'm not sure how long ago. Was it... uh... There was
1: a new update on it, August 22nd. Okay. So you can add those with just uh, pick it up on Flathub and do a Flatpak
0: install. Can I just rant about Flatpak a little? No! Installing software is pretty straightforward. I can just type uh, Flatpak install, for example, Flatpak install Discord or Flatpak install... Firefox. And it will list the matches that have Firefox in the name and I can just select one. But if I want to run an installed software from the terminal, I I can't just type flatpak run Firefox, I will have to type out flatpak run or firefox. So it would be nice to have a feature where if you only have one application that is not a runtime that has Firefox in its name, it would be enough to just type flatpak run Firefox and it will recognize what you want to do.
1: Uh, Arty 1.0.0 is released. You can now get your Tor with a full serving of Rust. The project was started in 2020, and with good community support, they even hired some extra coders to get it done. It's not quite up to Tor level, but it's getting there fast. It is now listed as, quote, ready for production use, end quote. Recommended use is inside a Tor browser using Arty proxy. Primary focus in RT 1.1.0 will be to implement TOR's anti-censorship features, including support for bridges and pluggable transports. We've identified our primary architectural challenges there and are working through them now. In addition, further solidification of compliance with semantic versioning in the high-level RT client crate, the Cargo Public API and Cargo Sember Checks crates both seem promising but may need additional thinking. This semantic versioning difficulty is the primary reason why RT client is still at 0.6.0 instead of 1.0.0. When they declare 1.0.0 for RT client, they want to be able to ensure backward compatibility for as long as possible.
0: Eight year old Linux kernel vulnerability uncovered. This is from the Hacker News, brought to us by Londoner. Details of an 8 year old security vulnerability in the Linux kernel have emerged that the researchers say is, quote, as nasty as dirty pipe, end quote. Dubbed Dirty Cred by a group of academics from Northwestern University, the security weakness exploits previously an unknown, exploits a, the security weakness, the, the security weakness exploits a previously unknown flow, and uh, it was given the identifier CV202250, CVE-2022-2588 to escalate privileges to the maximum level. And there's a quote. "Dirty cred is a kernel exploitation concept that swaps unprivileged kernel credentials with the privileged ones to, es- to escalate privilege, researchers Jiang Penglin, Yuang Wu and Xinyu Jing noted. I hope I pronounced those names right. Instead of overwriting any critical data fields on kernel heap. DirtyCred abuses the heap memory reuse mechanisms. Mechanism to get privileged. DirtyPipe tracked the CV 2022 0847 and affecting Linux kernel versions starting from 5.8 refers to a security vulnerability in the pipe subsystem. Oh, so this, this recites for dirty pipe is. I'm not sure if that's uh, and the article also recites for dirty pipe is. Uh so, so dirty pipe refers to security vulnerability in the pipe subsystem that allows unprivileged processes to write to arbitrary readable files, leading to privilege escalation. So, if I understand it correctly, uh, dirty cred is basically tricking, tricking the system to write uh, to a memory space that uh, this exploit can have access to, without it. Uh, intended, being intended to have access to it.
1: Right. It looks like there, uh, it says it abuses the heap memory reuse mechanism. Oh
0: boy. Even though I don't know much about the security research or even how memory or a CPU works, it's, it's fascinating how these very specific uh, vulnerabilities are discovered. Well, you can't say Linux has no bugs
1: or uh you can't hack Linux; it's just
0: stronger and fixed more quickly yeah. and <laughs> linux being Linux being the most used operating system on servers is probably as targeted as Windows, but the Linux desktop is not is not nearly as targeted as the Windows desktop due to it being uh, very much a minority among desktop users.
1: Okay, we've got a Plex breach which exposes usernames, emails, and encrypted passwords from The Verge through Londoner. Streaming media platform Plex sent out an email to its customers earlier, notifying them of a security breach that may have compromised account information, including usernames, email addresses, and passwords. While Plex's message says all account passwords that could have been accessed were hashed and secured in accordance with best practices, it is still advising all users to change their passwords immediately. Plex is one of the largest media server apps available, used by around 20 million people to stream audio, video, and photos they upload themselves, in addition to an increasing variety of content the service provides to paid subscribers. The email states... Yesterday, August 23rd, we discovered suspicious activity on one of our databases. We immediately began an investigation, and it does appear that a third party was able to access a limited subset of data that includes emails, usernames, and encrypted passwords. End quote. There is no indication any other personal account information has been compromised, and there is no mention of access to private media libraries, which may or may not include pirated content, private nudes, and other sensitive content. Having been accessed in the breach, Plex's email also reassures customers that financial information appears to be safe despite the breach, stating, quote, "Credit card and other payment data are not stored on our servers at all, and we're not vulnerable in this incident." End quote. The cause of the breach has been found, and Plex says it has taken action to prevent others from taking advantage of the same security flaw. Quote, we've already addressed the method that this third party employed to gain access to the system, and we're doing additional reviews to ensure that the security of all our systems is further hardened to prevent future incursions. End quote.
0: Plex is a self-hosted uh, service, right? For the most
1: part, but they do some hosting on the site for uh, paid users.
0: So I assume you can create an online account so you can access your home service content uh, from anywhere else?
1: That is okay. correct. I know I've been using Joe's uh Flex server for some time, although he said he was changing the password so I don't currently have
0: access. Have you also been using Joe's window manager? No. Uh,
1: I I've been using a lot of
0: stuff from Bill. Well, email addresses being uh, leaked is is a is a fairly common thing nowadays. I've heard about uh, services that you can use to get aliases for your emails. So you don't have to, so you can, so you can sign up to a service via an alias email and everything will be forwarded to your real email. So which is a way to get around, uh, not having your, not having, get around the risk of having your email being in one of these data leaks. I haven't used it. I haven't used them, but I just wanted to mention that. Well, it sounds
1: like all the passwords were properly hashed and encrypted, so there shouldn't have been a problem, and they did the uh, responsible thing by telling people to go ahead and change your passwords. Okay, and that wraps it up for security. Let's move into bi-weekly wander- wanderings. I can't even talk. biweekly wanderings. Well, my Mint 21 upgrade on my Lenovo T540P kept reporting errors and updating the kernel. After trying lots of things, I wound up almost completely redoing the whole laptop. UEFI got in the way of a lot of things and I had to figure out in advance, given what I think I know, the best order to reinstall. I did not need to reinstall Bodhi, but everything else got redone, with Makulu Shift being replaced with Peppermint for the next episode of Distro Hoppers. And KDE Neon being replaced by Linux Lite, so I have would have a good comparison to Peppermint since Linux Lite is approximately what Peppermint was before it converted to Debian.
0: Linux Lite was my first distro, so it has a special place in my, in my heart.
1: It all works now, but I have more configuring to do. I think I finished the configuring by now, actually. Uh, don't remember how long ago I wrote that. Uh, five total installations of four distros. That was a long night. Linux Lite needed to be installed twice as my attempt to remove the Chrome browser somehow took out the entire networking aspect of the distro. Wi-Fi, Ethernet, etc. Did you type yes, do as I say? No. Did I know to type yes, do as I say? No. (laughs) Well, I have lost my desktop environment before by trying to remove Chrome, so I should have known better. Uh, but I did get it done, um, on my next install. Anyhow, it's working fine for now. I even installed Peppermint on my T560, which was uh, a side project because I didn't take good notes on my installation. So I needed to get my installation notes done. Okay. I've only worked two days so far at the school district. I'm still having anxiety keeping me awake the night before a potential work day, which has caused me to cancel two days' work before accepting a position. If I've accepted the position, I do it anyhow. It doesn't matter if I've got 20 minutes' sleep or th- three hours, and I haven't had more than two hours yet. Anyhow, I do have an assignment for September 9th at the high school. Uh, my third ex wife came for a visit with her current husband and spent two days with us. They had been friends for a long time. Uh, We uh, stayed separate for about 15 years and then she accidentally found me and and we renewed the friendship part of our relationship, uh, which has now been going on for another 20 years. Um, They were going on a drive about from their home in western Nebraska through Tennessee and North Carolina. Then, up the coast then, up the coast of Prince Edward Island, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and Newfoundland, Labrador, and who knows where else before returning to Nebraska, all of this in a smart 4 two car, of course, they got a live concert out of me that's just what i do
0: when When are we getting the most concert live stream one of these days on what of one of well, those you know,
1: nobody has asked for it until just now on
0: one of uh, one of on one of the one of the roundtable streams we could have one. I have a concert over Zoom, uh,
1: in something called the Festival of the Living Rooms on uh, Sunday, September 25th at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. That sounds interesting, and everyone's welcome to get in on it. I probably can post the information uh, next episode. <clears throat> So yeah, I get a full hour, I've got uh, 16 songs I'm working on, I'll probably only have time for 12, but I am a moody performer, and if I don't feel like playing something, I go on to the next one. (laughs) Sometimes I come back if I have time, but
0: that's it for me. What do you got, Norbert? Well, these past two weeks, I seem to have contradicted myself quite many times quite a lot of times. One thing, that I've, one thing that I've been saying is that while I believe ButterFS is the future of Linux file systems, I hadn't made any moves towards switching to it. The main reason was apparently that I didn't truly know what I was missing out on. But it, also that I was too lazy to do research on how to get it to work with Refined without Grub, as I'm not using Grub. Refined is more... you do have to do more manual configuration with Refined. And the third reason was that I didn't have... I hadn't had the system break to the point where I'd have to reinstall, I guess, because I spent my first year on Linux uh, hopping a lot, so my currently my oldest installation is eight months. So I, I don't even have a Biroli installation on any of my devices, and uh, so I didn't really so I didn't have a breakage where I would have to reinstall or restore a backup, but I also wasn't keeping backups. And the thing is, this negligence has caught up to me. Uh, my federal installation on my laptop wasn't properly able to generate the kernel files in slash boot and uh, would only generate the rescue kernels. So when I would get a new kernel update, I would... Uh, get the initram fire system file for that kernel version, but not the Linux VM- file. I tried fixing it, but I couldn't, and then I thought to myself, I could reinstall and also take the opportunity to move to butterfs and start using snapshots. And it turns out setting up refind for butterfs is reasonably easy. As usual, the key was really helpful, I only had to copy a driver file to the FI partition so that Refind can handle ButterFS partitions. And after that, it could detect my kernel on the, uh, on the subvolume, on the root subvolume, on the partition, and it could boot in, uh, and it could boot. But I also had to modi- modify the boot entry, the Refined boot entry to point to the root subvolume and not just the partition. So I've been on ButterFS for a week, and it's been awesome. So I've been on ButterFS for a week, and it's been awesome. File system compression is great on root. My ni- my initial Fedora installs with sway are usually around five gigabytes, but it was with compression. But with compression, it was just it was only around two point five gigabytes. So it's been roughly cut in half. And because ButterFS is a copy on write file system, it means that if you make a copy of a file on the same partition, it won't actually duplicate it on the disk. That would be redundant since The files are identical. Only if you modify one of them, one of the files, it will write to disk, but, and only the difference of those files. So if you have like, so if you have a, so if you have, say, have a 10 kilobyte text file, you make a copy, the two files together will still only occupy 10 kilobytes, not 20. And if you modify only 10, and if you modify 10% of one of the files, they will together occupy 11 kilobytes and not still not 20 kilobytes. So it turns out that Btrfs snapshotting works essentially by duplicating your entire root file root file system and as you keep modifying your file system in use the backup size will only be the dif- the the difference between your current file system and the snapshot itself and i find that uh, to be a genius solution. So right now, so right now So right now if I open up the list of my snapshots, it says I have four snapshots. I set to have daily snapshots and weekly snapshots. And uh, my file it says my latest snapshot is 3- 3.4 GB, that's, that's compressed, and the difference between my current file system and the snapshot is 6.7 megabytes. So this particular snapshot only occupies 6.7 megabytes of space. Uh, My weekly snapshot, which is three days old, is around 300 megabytes in size, because that's how much my root file system changed. So, yeah, if I knew how easy and smooth, pun intended, is using ButterFS, I would have switched to it a long time ago. And... and i also came up with a way to create backups of install of my installations that uh, still use ex- ext4 which is basically just manually creating a .img file of the partition using dd you can do this from gnome disks or via dd on the command line on the command line which i assume is what disks is using at the backend anyway but then the image file is the size of the partition and not just the use space on the partition. So even though I only had 10 gigabytes uh, use space on the 25 gigabyte partition, the image file would be 25 gigabytes. I tried modifying the dt command to create a sparse, to create a sparse file, which means it will compress empty parts of it so that it, the file would only be the size of the actually use space. But somehow I couldn't, but somehow I couldn't manage to get this to work. Then I learned about a a command line tool called PartClone, which seems to be more efficient at cloning and backing up disks or partitions. And I did manage to create a sparse file with it, my void partition, which is 25 gigabytes, and it has around 10 gigabytes of view space. And the image and the .img file did end up being around 10 gigabytes. Then I used gzip to compress it, to compress it, and the final result was a 4.6 gigabyte .img.gz file. So I can rest assured that even if my void installation doesn't use ButterFS, I can still roll back to that uh, manual backup if I have a problem. But I think I will eventually reinstall Void with uh, ButterFS as well because ButterFS is great. And one other thing that I've been saying that when it comes to using Gnome, so this is one of, this is another thing that I've, uh, and another one of my contradict, and another case where I contradicted myself is what I've been saying about using, is I've been saying that when it comes to using Gnome, I love it with the touchpad and the single screen, but I don't quite like it with the mouse and multiple screens. The main reason has been GNOME's window management, but as I've been using, the main reason for that has been GNOME's window management and that I preferred XFC's window management over it. But as I've been using Sway, a tiling window manager, but I've, but as I, as, but, so this is on my desktop. So for this reason, I use XFC on my desktop. But uh, since I've been using Sway, a, a tiling window manager on my laptop, it. I thought to myself, maybe if I tried PopShell, it would get me to like GNOME on my desktop better. So I wiped XFC, the desktop I've been using for almost one and a half years, and there's GNOME plus PopShell on my Fedora installation on my desktop. And I did enjoy it a bit better than vanilla GNOME, but there are some quirks I need to figure out as PopShell sometimes puts Windows not on the display where I'd expect them to go. For now, I also reinstalled XFCE, for now i Xf- for now i, Xf- for now, I Xf- C, but I also kept gnome as it made me curious so I have them side by side. I also now have a new dilemma as I'm trying to get used to gaps between windows because you can because like because like on tile, because like on tiling window managers you can you can you can set gaps you can you can have gaps between the tiled windows on in pop shell, and you can adjust the size of the gaps. And they, I find them to be visually pleasing, but they also take up space, which makes it less efficient, so I have to find the gap size that I like, which doesn't make the windows too small. It would also be nice to set them on a per application basis, as I'd like for Firefox to not have any gaps, because I, when I run Firefox I usually only have the Firefox on that workspace, And I have a theme that sets the Firefox, uh, all the, the entirety of the Firefox uh, toolbar. So the tabs and uh to a completely, to completely black, which uh, blends, which makes it blend in with the, with my top panel, which is also black quite nicely. But if I have gaps, there's, but if I do have, but if I have gaps, but if I have gaps turned on, there's, it's not a seamless. It doesn't seamlessly touch the top panel. The same thing was for my laptop. I would be interested in trying gaps if I could just have various applications to be exceptions from using gaps. Um, I discovered that GTK4 apps that use a beta, that use Libert Beta and have rounded corners look really nice with tiling while you, if you have gaps. But if used on Sway, they will retain their rounded corners even when tiling without gaps. So when you have a GTK3 app, it will have rounded corners when it's, um, when it's a small window and it will not have gaps when it's maximized. And that will be the case on both GNOME and Sway. But GTK4 apps think they are not maximized when they are, when they fill out the entire workspace on Sway. So I'm not sure if there's a solution for that. If someone knows, I would be grateful if they could if they could help with this. So for now, I'm not using gaps on sway, but uh, I keep experimenting with them on gnome. Along with this styling setup, I'm using Blackbox, which is a GTK4 terminal that looks especially nice with gaps. I also tried gradients, formerly called the Manager, which lets you easily recolor the Adwaita sheet. So specifically LibodVeta applications. So the thing about LibodVeta is that uh, initially there have been news uh, going around the internet that LibodVeta will restrict theming options for GTK, but uh, as LibodVeta... But as development for LibodVeta is... Uh, it progresses, it actually has a more... Thought out way of taming, uh, most notably recoloring parts of of Beta. So, Great gradients is an is an unofficial project that was that was mentioned uh, multiple times in this speaking gnome blog posts. And uh, I could so I installed it and I picked a slightly bluish tint. So I recolored my LibreVita applications to a bluish tint because. I guess it's time. I guess it's, uh, I guess, uh, I should really, I guess I should really buy a new desktop display because mine current one is, because my current one is quite old. And I think, and I'm, and when, and it doesn't, and when something is, and when something has a gray color, it kind of looks a bit brownish, orangish. Which is I, which I assume is why I prefer to use a theme, a GTK theme, Skios on my desktop, which has a bluish tint, as opposed to a fully grey one like Edveta. Um. So I, so I essentially tried making the Edveta to look a bit more like Skios in in terms of the color scheme, and since Blackbox has it. And since the black box terminal has built-in themes, one of them is a bluish tint. So I just uh, took that color and applied it to all the other GTK four applications, and it looks uh, and on my and on my display at least uh, I like it better than the regular color of of uh, Libid Beta. And I really hope that there will and I and I hope that there will be an official tool uh, developed by the GNOME team in the future that lets you. Uh, recolor Liberty beta applications. And yet another thing where I can't myself is, a while ago I said I wouldn't and yet another thing I thought I wouldn't do is using Wayland on my Nvidia desktop, my production machine, as I had some things not work, most notably OBS, in Gnome Wayland when I tested it. But as I'm on Fedora, But, but when I installed GNOME, it defaulted to Wayland because I'm on Fedora, and since I was there I thought I might as well try it again. And this time, but this time I didn't go for the RPM Fusion version of OBS, but the flatpack. And it worked flawlessly. I think I also had the weird, uh, I think previously when I could get OBS to work on Wayland I had a weird thing happen where my my display's framerate would drop to my the frame rate I was recording at 30 fps, I'm not sure. I'm I'm not sure if that happened or I was just imagining it, but uh, when I tried running the OBS, but when I try, but now when I tried running, but now when I tried the playback of OBS, it seems to it it just worked, as I would have expected it. It just it worked just as well as on the Xorg session of GNOME. So I may just end up sticking with NoomValent on my desktop as well, which I didn't ex- which I didn't expect would happen so soon, but the new NVIDIA five fifteen drivers seem to work with seem to have improved Valent support quite a bit. So I'm really happy about that. And. I will have Okay, so. And I've also been looking into ways to extend battery life on my laptop. And once again, a tool from a Chris Titus video slash blog post is what did the trick. I previously tried TLP, Power Power Profiles Daemon, and Auto CPU Freak, but neither of them managed to limit CPU speeds to a level that I'd have liked. My CPU supposedly likes to run between 400 MHz and 4.2 GHz, but even with auto CPU freak, most cores wouldn't go below 1 GHz, even when I'm just watching a movie. And I, okay, forcing your, and for a 4.2 GHz CPU, it might, uh, trying to go below 1 GHz might be a bit overkill, but when I just want to watch a movie, and I don't really have anything running in the background. I I just want to try how much, I just want to experiment how much I can get out of my laptop's uh, battery. I recently came across the official maximum battery life uh, advertised for this laptop is around 12 hours. I assume that is for Windows and in a very power efficient use case scenario. And I'm only getting around six to seven hours even with O c- auto CPU freak. In a, so, so in a recent video, Chris Titus recommended using ACPID, CPU power, and CPU freak utils. And I looked up ACPI, it's uh, related to power management, and ACPID is a daemon can, that can do that. And for some reason, and I realized that for some reason on my Void Linux installation, ACPID was installed, but not enabled. And when I enabled it, uh, and I tried running uh, auto CPU freak, it could properly... Uh, Scale down CPU clock speed to around one GHz when I was on battery and I, and I also did try the utilities he recommended in the video CPU power and CPU repeattors with this you can uh, you can get information about uh, the minimum and maximum clock speed of your CPU cores, what uh, speed are, are they currently running at, and you can set the minimum and you can define uh, minimum and maximum clock speeds and you can define the minimum and maximum clock speeds you can even turn off uh, individual cores so i just told it to be between 400 and 800 megahertz and the interesting thing is that i didn't get that much more life out of the battery so for now i just decided to stick with auto Free Void and power profile dimmer on fedora and maybe so the experimentation of manually tweaking uh, CPU clock speeds didn't really result in uh noticeable improvement in my case. And uh I guess and uh, that's really all that I wanted to talk about today. And I will have links for all the tools I mentioned, so gradients, black box, uh so great I will have links for all the mentioned packages, uh gradients, black box, uh And the laptop aware management uh, blog post on Chris Titus' website in the show notes. So, yep, I guess that's it. Let's move to the Linux nerds.
1: And that wraps it up for our bi weekly wanderings. In Linux nerds, we have a lot of Mint and GNOME news, and that's, I guess, what we're doing. So in Mint news from blog.linuxmint.com, we learned that Will Wheaton runs Mint. There was a shout out to the Steam Deck. Um, Clem writes, we're still fixing, we're still fixing small regressions in Cinnamon. We'll also continue to improve the upgrade tool in particular, the way it handles orphan packages and we'll release a Linux Mint 21 edge ISO image when an HWE kernel series becomes available. Now, when I read that, it makes me think they're releasing an ISO with Edge as the default browser, but no, that's not what they're talking about here. Um, Continuous integration. Whenever we make a change in the source code via a commit for one of our applications or whenever someone contributes a change via a pull request, The changed software is automatically recompiled to ensure it still builds and installs fine in the latest versions of Linux Mint and LMDE. This is what we call continuous integration. To do this, we rely on Docker and CircleCI. A regression between Docker and glibc in Ubuntu 22.04 affected our ability to build for Linux Mint 21. We worked around this regression for our own build environments, but it still affects environments we don't control, such as CircleCI. We're currently tackling this issue. we successfully tested GitHub Actions, which gives us greater control over Docker than CircleCI, and we're likely to migrate our continuous integration to it in the coming days. In other news, Debbie reaches end-of-life. It's the end of the adventure for LMDE four Debbie. This release has now reached end of life and will no longer receive updates. If you're running LMDE four, please
0: upgrade to LMDE five. So I think LMDE four is the one that is based on Debian 10, which uh, is now a which is now entering the which is now also near which has also reached its end of it's official support and it will get an additional two years, I think, of community support. So I guess if, so I guess, so I guess if some, so I guess, so I assume if LMD 4 is using the official Debian, uh, uh, security update mirrors, it would still get uh, Debian updates, but not the main min- specific updates. Cinnamon development right now is really interesting to me because uh, because while Mint 21 didn't have a lot of uh, visible uh, changes compared to Mint 20, the window manager Muffin has been rebased on a more recent version of Matter, So instead of so previously it was forked for it was forked from uh, GNOME 3's window manager a decade or so ago, and now it was rebased to a version of Matter that is only one or two years old. So, uh, it be a probably not. It's probably not a surprise that I'm mentioning because it's probably not a surprise. So it's probably not a surprise that I'm mentioning this because a rebase to a more recent version of matter makes it more, makes it more, makes it more likely that cinnamon will get a will get balance support in the future. And uh, because Linux Mint is one of the slower moving distributions, they have a new release every two years. I wonder whether the next major release of Mint in 2024 will have a valence session or not. It seems like there's more and more pressure for distribution and, and desktops to have a variant session. One of the main reasons is that Xorg is only getting really absolutely essential security updates, and it. most of the Xorg developers have moved on to Wayland, and so Wayland is essentially developed by the same people who used to work on Xorg. In that sense, Wayland is not a random new project that came onto the scene, it's more of a spiritual successor to Xorg. It's more of a spiritual successor to X11. In a way, it is the X12 that some people would like to see. Even though it is not extra in name. And uh, well, whatever, so iOS. And since we mentioned LMDE, Linux Mint Debian Edition, one of the things I would like to see the most uh, when it comes to Linux Mint is LMDE having an official XFCE and MATE versions, ISOs, because currently it only has a cinnamon flavor. And uh, out of all, out of the three desktop environments uh, that uh, the official main distribution has, that the main main distribution has, XFC is my favorite by far. So, and because I prefer a Debian base, uh, and because I prefer a Debian base to an Ubuntu base, an LMD, LMDE, If if LMDXFC flavor was a thing, it would be my favorite of all the various distributions that uh, come out of that uh, the main team make. That's all I want to say. Okay, now we move on to GNOME 43. Yes, indeed. And GNOME 43 is uh, not... Is shaping up to be another interesting release, and uh, we have an article from its Foss: Five GNOME 43 features to keep an eye on, and GNOME 43 is due, to re- is due for release on September 21st. So it ha- so GNOME has releases just around the just a li- around a month before Ubuntu and Fedora have their releases. So in March and September. And one of the major changes is in the quick settings menu. The GNOME desktop menu in the top right corner, where you can quickly adjust the volume, access network connections and power and power on slash off the machine. Finally gets a visual refresh. Now it looks more like an Android quick toggle bar, which should enhance the user experience while trimming down some extra clicks. You do not need to head to the settings to turn on the dark mode and night light because they will be included in the among these quick toggles. The new quick toggle menu gives you access to those. Moreover, things like selecting a Wi-Fi network and changing the audio device is easier than ever. Yes, selecting audio input and output devices is one of the things that GNOME used to have but was taken out, and now they finally made a re-implementation of it. There are also changes to the notice file manager, most notably it's been ported to GTK4. And uh, some other notable changes are the ability to drag and select files in list view, a rubber band selection, an adaptive view with a compact window, which means that when the window gets, uh, if you rese- if you decrease the window size and it and it gets narrow enough, it will auto-hide the left bar where you can uh, navigate through uh, with with the places, with the listed places. It will have a new document context menu where you can create new documents via la- right click, which I'm surprised it apparently didn't have before. But also I never tried this feature. I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it refers to the templates folder in your home directory where if you add uh, files to that folder, they will become templates. So if, for example, you add an empty text file, you can create an empty text file via right click and also any all sorts of file formats. And uh, it will now, and uh, the list view will now have a highlight row effect on mouse hover. The gnome settings, gnome settings will now have a device security information section. Gnome will display a secure boot warning if we have it disabled. And the settings menu will also have this new device security option, where you can get the secure boot status along with other essential informations like uh, the status of TPM, Intel Boot Guard, and IOMMU protection. Well, I always have uh, secure boot turned off because I'm using distributions that don't have, don't have signed kernels. So I hope this won't be something. So I hope this warning won't be very apparent, but more discreet. Nome Web, the Epiphany browser, will now have uh, web extension support. So if I understand it correctly, it will be able to, you will be able to install Firefox extensions for it. Which, uh, come, which, uh, along with, uh, and I think Epiphany already has the Firefox sync built in. So Gnome Web or Epiphany is I, I I wish they would rename it back to Epiphany because web is while it makes sense to have a web browser called web Epiphany is a more uh, recognizable name and it's easier to search for. And it's also a nice name for a browser. So it's becoming more of a viable, it's becoming more and more of a viable alternative for people who might want to switch browsers and the norms of there are also improvements to GNOME software. With GNOME forty three you, you get to know more about a permission. You will get to know more about the permissions required by flatpak applications, and you also get a section for other apps by to find applications by the same developer. Furthermore, there are subtle visual tweaks to the way packages to the way package sources are displayed. And some other changes include to Icon theme updates, performance improvements on GNOME apps. Various code cleanups and refinement to the calendar, and also revamped about window for for the for the for the about window of applications, and uh, and gnome also, and the gnome team also have continued to post these weekly updates on uh, the this week on the this week in gnome blog and in these they and in these they cover both official both uh, changes and improvements to the official gnome stack as well as the unofficial applications like uh, the gnome circle apps or extensions and i wanted to list a couple of them from uh, the latest posts uh, 57 58 and 59 one of them is gradients that i mentioned which uh, is still in development and you can change the Libad colors, color palette, color scheme with that. Black box, the flatpak black box, which is available as a flatpak. It's a GTK4 terminal the, terminal that I've already mentioned as well. And I found another flat pack called Kuha, which is a screen recorder that I haven't tried, but I think it says it but I think it works with Wayland, And uh, I I will like. I will probably try this on GNOME and Sway as well because I, for some reason, I haven't been successful in getting OBS Studio to work with to work on Sway yet. And I wonder if a application that has, and I wonder if there are, and I wonder if there's a Wayland native screen recorder that I can that I will have better luck with. They also mention a GNOME extension called Pano, which is a visual clipboard manager where it's similar to the clipboard manager in Android, where you can bring up a list at the bottom of the screen, where you can have a visual, where you can have, which will show your uh, recent clipboard entries, things you copied, uh, images as well as text. And they also met, they also list uh, new updates for a couple of applications like calls, uh, which is a the phone application for GNOME on phones. I am really glad that they decided to focus on uh, developing on having an official version of GNOME for phones, uh, because there's also FOSH, an unofficial phone shell. FOSH just is a just short for phone shell, which is also based on GNOME. So now we have uh, two different. Uh, Mobile uh, desktop interfaces. It's weird to say mobile desktop interface. Mobile interfaces uh, based on GNOME. And there's been also updates to the Ambero music player, which I tried. Amber is basically a music player that only lets you play music, local music on your computer. You can drag and drop music files and it will add them to the playlist. So it doesn't have a media browser. You cannot to like uh, browse your artists or albums or genres, it will just play the music you give it to play, and it's also GTK four like most of the applications that I've listed, uh, but unlike most GTK four applications and but but unlike most lightweight applications, it has an adaptive uh, design. It will the entire window will have a blurred. The inter- the background of the entire window will be a blurred version of the album art of the song that is currently playing. So this is basically a GNOME forty two part two because when GNOME forty two came out a lot of the core GNOME applications haven't been hadn't been ported to GTK4, and now we'll get GTK4 appli- versions of application, of those applications like, like the file manager, Nautilus. And Nautilus is also getting a lot of features that I think it used to have in the past with GNOME 2. Uh... Hmm. Do you have anything to add on the topic of GNOME? Who, me? Gnome? Yeah. Do I talk about yeah, Gnome? I, know. I don't you, talk you about Gnome. Gnome.
1: Yeah, I love Gnome as long as I'm not using you it. You love
0: Gnome as much as Microsoft loves Linux.
1: Oh, maybe a little bit more. I mean, I, I basically am a Mate person, and that's, that used to be Gnome. Mm.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know what's interesting? I tried uh, the Linux, but it, I didn't quite like it as much but I love Gnome, but I do love Gnome a lot. And you love body but don't like Gnome. So it's... Uh,
1: well, Moksha is an incredible experience, but it's not what everyone's in mood for.
0: Um, so Moksha is based on Enlightenment, and Enlightenment is a very interesting thing. It's not... Some some posts say, some sites say, it's not quite a recipe environment, but more akin to a window manager. Or a compositor. I think... It, I think it they also I think I also read it can run in WLAN mode, but I'm not sure if I was successful in running it in VLAN mode when I tried it.
1: Well, we're just about done with this thing. Yeah. Uh that that pretty much closes our innards. Uh maybe we'll be more informative next episode. Um So let's move on. Next episode we'll uh, have and-
0: the topic that we planned for this week which is uh, talking about some obscure uh, use cases where no, where Linux is actually the most, where Linux is the best choice for an operating system.
1: Okay. Maybe we will, and maybe we won't. <laughs> All right. Uh, that wraps up our innards. Uh, in Vibrations from the Ether, we didn't find anything this time. So, moving to check this out, uh, somebody posted screen. Was that you? Nope. Well, then maybe it was Joe. Well, we'll just let someone that posted it ta- talk to you about it, because neither one of us know anything. If you want to check out screen for yourself, there's a link in the show notes. Well,
0: let me take a quick look at it, so that I have an idea of what it is. Uh Oh... Make, make any device your second display on Linux. So you, it's, uh, it's, a bit, it's, about, it's a tool to turn a mobile device into a second screen on Linux, I think.
1: Okay. Well, maybe Joe will talk about that next episode. This sounds like something
0: Joe would put in. Check this out.
1: Okay. Housekeeping and announcements. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mintcast. If you see something you'd like to hear if you see something you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us an email at mintcast at mintcast.org, chat with us on Discord, Telegram, or Facebook, post at the Mintcast subreddit, or post directly at https colon slash slash mintcast.org. Don't forget to join us live on YouTube for the next episode. 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on September 18th, 2022. And we have a link to get Mintcast converted to your time zone. The next live stream is 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on September 10th, 2022. And there's a link to get that converted to your time zone. The next live stream is at 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on September 24th, 2022. And there's a link to get that converted to your time zone. Live stream information is at mintcast.org slash live stream. In wrap up, well, Joe didn't make it this episode, but you can catch him at tllts.org, linuslogcast.com, on jb at mintcast.org, or there's a link to buy Joe a coffee. You can catch me every week on Full Circle Weekly News, on Distro Hopper's Digest, we've got an episode coming up Later this month, Bard Moss at pm.me is my email, and my other information can be found at itsmoss.com. Bill didn't make it this episode, but you can catch him at bill at mintcast.org, bill underscore h on Discord, at wchauser3 on Twitter, and wchauser3 on Facebook, and also you can check out his podcast, 3ftpodcast.org,
0: Three Fat Truckers. Norbert? You can send me an email at norbert.mintcast.org.
1: Before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. Norbert, Londoner, Tony Hughes, and all others for our audio editing. Joshua Lowe and Bill Hauser for all of their work on the website. Hobstar for our logo, and it RD for the animated Discord logo. Londoner for our time syncs. Bill Hauser for hosting the Linode, which runs our website. And someday we'll run our uh, next cloud instance. Archive.org for hosting our audio files. And the Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love to talk about. Thanks, Thanks, Clem. This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter, at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music. And thanks for listening to this episode of the Mintcast.